Hello and welcome to Slash Tube, the movie pitching podcast with a twist. Everybody gets the same title, some time to prepare, and then brings their idea to the table. One of us hasn't had the title in advance, however, and that is our dupe, Ryan. Ryan, how are you feeling today? Yeah, really, really good. Done away with the rhymes after so much hate from them, so I'm just going to do with a normal intro. Hi, I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you all. Love being the dupe. I was hoping there'd be like a secret rhyme in there. Nah. Okay, all right. Uh, and I'll, I'll bait and switch, I'm, an, I'm no. an impressionable young man, so you know, as soon as two people have said that they hate it, I'm out the set. Listen, you might get some love on the comments <laughs> yeah. or whatever, you never know. We'll see what the ratio is. It's <laughs> unlikely, but, but you never know. Um, uh, so of, of our other two guests, uh, we've got Dan. Uh, both our other guests have the title today. How do you feel about the title, Dan? Um, I'm really excited for the title. Um, I'm excited. You haven't g- given anything away, but you seem more excited than usual. So I'm um, only because it's it's a banger of an idea. Honestly, okay. it's not much. <laughs> it's a, it's a tiny seed. Okay. From small acorns. That's why you've elected to go second because you don't want to show Correct. Ollie up, do you? Ooh, more like I don't want our listeners to turn off. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. Uh, the other person you can hear is Ollie. Ollie's our guest today. Ollie, um, how long ago did you get the title? Ah, uh, the centuries ago that was pre-coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I would say most of the thought went into this in the day or two before we cancelled the last uh, podcast, yeah, yeah. and I picked it a little, picked it up a little bit, but for the most uh-huh. part, it's uh, it's still pretty much preserved from that time. Uh-huh. Well, you've probably got me beat because I I came up with mine whilst. I, when I told you a minute ago, oh, I'm, I'll be five minutes late, that was why. So my idea is, is, was made about ten minutes ago. <laughs> and actually, so, something for the guests here. So Ollie was actually due to be on the podcast right mm. before the UK went into lockdown because mm. we were primed, ready to go. And then we just, you know, yeah. But so actually we're actually quite grateful that you, um, uh, you could connect. We could all connect online. Actually, this is. I'm quite excited. So I'm, I'm Sean, your peerless moderator. And at the end of the episode, I'll be picking a winner. But I'll tell you why I'm picking a winner and what happens to it at the halfway point of the podcast. So our title for today is An Honest Woman. So that's the title that we're all operating off of um, today. It's An Honest Woman. A title that I think has a sort of uh, a few connotations, an interesting sort of uh, genesis and, you know, etymology to the to the phrase. Um, and perhaps a sort of something perhaps contentious or perhaps not, you know, depending on uh, where, you know, when the movie sets. So I'm quite excited to see uh, what you guys have come up with for this title. So, Ollie, I think you're the first doctor. You're a Dr. Elliot, aren't you? I think you're the first doctor that we've had on the podcast. Is that is that right? Okay, yeah, you, you're setting me up here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I'm just trying to write. I don't have any follow-up, any sort of like pithy radio host follow-up. I'm just saying that like, I'm just trying to elevate the status of the podcast in other people's <laughs> minds, you know, before I crush it at the end with, with my idea. Uh, do you think that's given you, do you think that's got a, given you a leg up? Do you think it's, it, has it aided in any way? Uh I mean, so I'm going to immediately give away a little bit of what my idea is and say it's historically orientated, okay. although probably not in a meaningful academic way, uh, <laughs> as I, I would usually look at these things. Uh-huh. Uh, it's more for the, uh, the, the feel of the, the period that okay. I wanted. 
So that may have done it, but it's also got nothing to do with what I studied. Right. So, okay. so yeah. So, okay, Ollie, go ahead. Give us your idea for uh, an honest woman. Okay. Well, so uh, my my idea is uh, an allegorical fantasy drama, mm-hmm. if that's a genre. <laughs> uh, it, it's it gonna is be, now. <laughs> it is now, if it wasn't before. Uh, you heard it here first. It's set in 14th century Europe. Uh-huh. And it is actually going to be based on a European folk story uh, about a woman called Melazine. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of this no, like, no, traditional folk story. Okay, so uh, basically, I, what I've what I want is a combination somewhere between Darren Aronofsky, who's one of my favorite directors, mm-hmm. and Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of films that I was thinking about when I, I was coming up with this concept were Mother, mm-hmm. uh, which was Darren Aronofsky's most recent uh, film, mm-hmm. uh, and Crimson Peak which mm. is Guillermo del Toro's most recent film, I mm. think. Uh, oh, no, 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 one of his most recent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of feel I want. So something that's kind of gothic, has that kind of luxuriousness of a Guillermo del Toro film, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time has a kind of intense psychological and somewhat macabre feel mm-hmm. of something from Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what to, those are the stylistic things to think about as I, as I develop my outline yeah, uh sure, sure. in terms of I, I what i've done here is i've created what i guess would be the whole of uh the whole of the script uh, the, the whole of the plot mm-hmm. um but i think it maybe it's best if i just start by explaining very roughly at the beginning what i want and then maybe you can suggest ways that directions i could go in uh, yeah it's a great idea yeah yeah, yeah. please go ahead uh, and see if it compares to what i have already had developed in my mind. Oh, okay. So, yeah. uh, what I've got here is the first scene of the film. Uh, so, what I, well, the first part of the film, it begins with a young nobleman and two friends sneaking through the guarded town walls of uh, a small medieval town. And uh, they, they escape capture, they avoid the, the, the guards and enter into the town on feast day where there's a huge party going on in the street. And he spies uh, the guy, the lead guy, the nobleman, spies two women in the river and decides to join them. They, have a, they start to frolic in the water. Uh, they're, they're having a great time. But suddenly he falls deep into the water and gets dragged away by the strong currents uh, down the river uh, towards a, a dangerous-looking weir or place I'm exactly decided where it looks like uh, if you went there, you're, you're probably not long to live. Mm. So people start to congregate to watch. There's chaos. No one, can, no one has any idea what to do. And then suddenly something happens out of shot. And one of the young women appears on the side of the river, pulling him up out of the water. They embrace and she, he asks who she is. And she says, my name is Melusine. Mm-hmm. Now, we then fast forward for a whirlwind romance as he introduces her to his family uh, back in the castle. Uh, they fall in love. She proposes marriage to him. Uh, oh, sorry, he proposes marriage to her. She accepts, but with one condition. Every Saturday, she must bathe and bathe alone, and he must promise to never even attempt to approach her at this time. Okay. And so that's the setup of the story. Interesting. Uh, so far. Now... 
I don't know. It, it, maybe I can provide a very rough idea of where I want to go with this. And then... Yeah, that'd be great. I love it because okay. it has that sort of romantic first section because I actually watched Crimson Peak again a couple of weeks ago. And it does have a sort of very classical sort of romantic start, doesn't it? And it's sort of, mm-hmm. and all of the things that, that come out in the sort of second uh, and third acts are actually seeded in the first act, even though it's sort of, it seems more like an entrepreneur and business uh, and a romantic sort of entanglement. So I like that this, I like that it pushes that at the start. It's sort of, are you going to ha- um, sort of market it and have it so that it, it makes you believe it's a romance or is it going to be marketed so that you think it's going to be more of a mainline sort of thriller or? Well, so this is my next idea from this point is that I want to then switch the perspective. Mm. So we set it up as if it's going to be a romantic film Mm -hmm. where it's about the guy and the girl and they're going to have a life where she's hiding something secret Mm -hmm. and he's going to eventually discover it. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what I want, but I want to do it in a different way, uh, where it's not just, they're not actually the main characters. So what I want to do is switch the perspective at the next, uh, in the next scene to the nobleman's sister, uh, who's uh, another character taken from this folk story, which is called, she's called Presine. And she will be the main character for the rest of the film. So the entire film will be then shown from her perspective. Uh, and what I want to show from her view is she's basically like a conspiracy theorist. She's very paranoid. Right. Uh, she believes that the kingdom is under assault from all kinds of dark forces. And so she's in the castle constantly uh, investigating, di- discovering, trying to work out what's going on. Uh, why, why the kingdom is whatever. She, we, we're never sure if she's, R- mm. truly crazy or if she is sure. in fact the only one who's like seeing the the threats for what they are yeah sure and so that's that's how the whole film is built around this kind of uncertainty as to how to what extent is she just a conspiracy theorist or is, is the conspiracy she's, she's seeing real mm-hmm. um and so the first the part of the film that comes next would be her investigating uh what happened and she discovers that what happened to her brother was miraculous. It was impossible for a human being to have uh, done that, to rescue her brother. And so she goes further and further into this conspiracy theory of thinking, what is is going on? Who who is this woman? How did she manage to save her? Uh, And how I save him? And in the end, she manages to uh, somehow discover that, uh, well, she, she gets very suspicious of Melusine uh, and she is kind of uh, going around the castle trying to work out who Melusine is. And eventually she discovers that uh, Melusine is sec- secreted away in a part of the castle every Saturday and no one is allowed to go to that part of the castle. Right. And so she manages to break herself in to that castle where she discovers, uh, she overhears like really inhuman noises mm-hmm. and a bizarre language being spoken. But you can't see what's going on, so you only hear it. You only hear this kind of really freaky stuff that's going on behind the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the rest of yeah, the rest of it is then her. Uh, the rest of that this part of the film would be her trying to uh, uncover what's going on. Sure. Uh, with the ultimate reveal at some point being that uh, Mesuline is basically some kind of every saturday she has to become or she turns to her true form which is like an aquatic serpent 
which is based on the original folk story. So right. every Saturday she becomes an aquatic serpent. Right, right. And she has to hide this from the the man she loves. Yeah, sure. Uh, and uh, there's a whole, I mean, so the, in the folk story, uh, it's because she's the, she's the child of uh, a man and a fairy. And this yeah. apparently in folklore, it gives rise to someone who has a cert, who has mm-hmm. like this uh, werewolf-like tendency to mm-hmm. just take a different form every once a week. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I think and... we can all relate to that after a heavy fight. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, definitely. And so basically throughout the whole story, I, I really want uh, Prisian to be this one who's investigating, discovering, trying to discover what's going on. Sure. She she is paranoid, but and while her brother is believing that she, uh, the uh, this this Mazzolini is completely well, she he knows that she disappears every Saturday, but he just doesn't he doesn't want to know the truth. Uh-huh. He's trying to ignore the truth. I see. He's just trying to keep away from it. And Presseline is becomes convinced that this woman Mazzolini is is uh, dangerous, and she's going she's a demon, and she's mm-hmm. going to take over the. Uh, the castle kill him or something mm-hmm. and so the whole film becomes like a battle between well not a battle but like presley and trying to push this desire to know the truth mm-hmm. against uh messaline who actually at the end i what i really want is for messaline to be uh never a bad person mm. but someone who's just trying to she's told the husband that she can never see him Mm-hmm. Uh, on that on that Saturday, mm. and uh, that he she did that for his own good and for their own good as a relationship. Sure. So she told as much of the truth as she could, sure. but no more. And yeah. she she can't tell him who she really is. Mm-hmm. And so what, that's the main idea. I love it. I love it. Mm. What does what does he think? The husband does he is he sort of is he have an inkling? Is he denying the truth as in I don't want to know, or is he honouring her by not minding whatever? occurs on the Thursday because that's interesting as a character point to me which which of those does he fall into I would say I I want him to be quite a positive person Mm. he's not he's not paranoid he's Mm. not fearful he he went into this relationship knowing there was this deal where he would never ask a question Mm. about what was going on every Saturday he would just say yep I love you I don't care whatever it is it's none of my business and so she, it's his sister who's constantly trying to drag out the truth. Mm. And I do, I like that a lot, actually, because it's, it's very often the cliche that the partner who, who enters into this sort of agreement then sort of reneges on it and decides, oh, no, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, now I can't handle it. But of course, that's so I actually quite like that, that it's got he's got quite a moral centre. But mm-hmm. of course, it's too much for his uh, family member to deal with, sister. which is almost quite. Yeah, which is something we can all relate to in a way, isn't it? Like so yeah. when our when our brothers and sisters or family members get partners, there's sometimes the friction and sometimes there isn't. Yeah. So it's like, you know. Yeah. And you sort of look out for a sibling or a, or a friend even, or, or, you know, I think we've all sort of been in the cases where there's something that maybe we've seen in another relationship and we've said, said Hey man, can we chat about this? Yeah. You or sort of step in. yeah and it may, may not be your place, but that's because that's your perspective on, on mm. one dimension of that mm. sort of, of that relationship or that diamond. But then when does it cross over into zealotry or, or almost like a sort of, um, uh, uh, selfishness like a like sort of your willingness to like because obviously in the film Prescian is a is sort of like uh it's her own sort of agenda she's pushing more than worrying for her out for her brother I don't know yeah so what's her 
background why is she so hell-bent on discovering this rather than in letting her brother have his happiness there must be some reason she thinks she has to go one step further mm. yeah that's a great question i think uh i hadn't thought about the background of her character other than just imagining her as very paranoid mm. uh what i mean one of the things i was thinking about uh and again it's drawn from the folk story is that there is a sort of uh there is a historical conflict between uh the fairy society and humankind mm. and apparently every so often there there are stories of fairies attacking people and so right. she i was wondering if that could be worked into her backstory of like she witnessed something like that or there's something in the family history where she thinks oh this happened before uh maybe there was a fairy marriage or something like that she, she she's convinced herself that there was like some uh, a previous example of this and the, the the this uh this relationship is them coming back to get revenge for what happened the last time i see i i have a question on this so but everything you're describing you know with the with it being the folklore with it being the sort of the coming from that tale is this is that part of it true because i know at the beginning you mentioned uh, del toro as well so are you actually saying that yeah this woman becomes you know she actually is this fairy thing or is the sister wanting to believe it so much is she that much of a conspiracy theorist like i remember there's you know there's like a lot of these um like not old yeah like old wives tales and these sort of uh mythical stories that we hear you know come from like i remember there's that one is there like the huge wolf is it like black shuck that mm. the darkness i'm talking about you know and there's a church in england with this huge gouge marks on the door and people have made that into a story tale now that's probably you know it could have been just a big wolf right yeah but yeah. We, we've made it into this thing. So is that what the sister's trying to do? Is she trying to create... Because she's trying to prove to yeah, everybody... If she is, why? Is true. Is she, why yes. would she be trying yeah. to divine this? I, I guess you, it was based on what you were saying, you know, about uh, her fearing this reprisal from mm -hmm. the sort of fairy world. But yeah, it, it, well, so what you're if, saying she is. What if it is... Their fairies do exist. This woman is a fairy, but all the way through, she's made out to be this paranoid person that's making stuff up. And the per but the person that's like egging her on, in a Titania Oberon kind of way, is another fairy, winding her up, mm. telling her that these oh, things are like real, a, like a and, puck from Midsummer's yeah, Dream. But what happens if that isn't? She isn't one, but it's there are actually fairies. But it's not the the wife that's the one affected by fairies. It's the sister that is affected by fairies. And they're oh, giving her snap. hallucinations. <laughs> Double cross. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. Yeah, I, I, I could see potential for that. Uh, if, though it, it, it creates some interesting uh, relational dynamics if the brother is not a fairy and the sister's a fairy oh, i don't even know if she is a fairy it's just some fairies are talking just... to her to wind her up i see okay and it so could like be, they're, it they're could working be that through his, her his his wife is uh, a fairy uh, offspring mm -hmm. and so they're trying to get her found out because it's the other court or the or the husband of the wife that had the affair and created the the door the war, the wife who is a half serpent mm. maybe they are the bad fairies they are the fairies of that she is frightened of, but they are masquerading as sort of either ordinary people or the fairies that she's not frightened of. Mm. But really, you know, and they're sort of twisting that this innocent creature or this 
you know ordinary person is what you know they're they're telling her that it's something that they're that it's not yeah interesting it's uh, what the, the the what's interesting about this for me is that with um conspiracy theories uh they're very hard line i think when you look at films uh set around the 13th 14th, 14th century they're either definitely some mysticism and fantasy or there definitely isn't um and so i i find it interesting to take the the fairly modern idea of a conspiracy theorist and apply it to that period of time and sort of you have changing religions don't you you have different different countries have religions enforced upon them between the 12th and 14th century as well and so you go from believing one thing uh, organizes the world to believing that something else organizes the world so you do have this sort of plausible uh, sort of I don't know schism in reality for these people so mm-hmm. it is plausible that she is she could be correct or she could be mad and I, I think that that's quite a cool way of uh, yeah I, I, I don't know if if, uh, if I was making it whether I would feel confident of sh- actually showing her as one of these creatures would you is that definitely part of what you like about the idea is that no she's at the end of it you show her you know I think that's one of the toughest decisions to mm. make because I think there is a there's a there's a risk of anticlimax where if you really resolve nothing the audience will go to the end and say well it's just not satisfying like mm. that ambiguity sustained for too long uh you need to you need i think it needs to have some you need to do something with that ambiguity and make a point yeah. with it if you're going to do it yeah uh and i i don't know i the ending i had in my head was that uh it would end up in a situation where everybody it's it's kind of like Crimson Peak where every, it all gets so extreme mm. uh, that you kind of lose track of what's real and what's not. Mm. Uh, and actually, and also like a mother in some ways. So mm. it just becomes, everyone kind of goes so unhinged that mm. you don't know if you're, you're watching reality or it's broken down into some kind of uh, pure allegorical insanity. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, but I think in, in general, I would like to show something. Uh, yeah, to kind sure. of hint at towards the end, uh, obviously keep it until as, as late as you can mm. of what what she may look like, mm. and give these hints. Never, never fully visible, but mm. kind of give some sense of kind of what her serpent form would be like. Sure, sure. And that of the sense that she is from some very, very strange. At least, that's the thing. Maybe she's not. Um, she's not a fairy, or she's not uh, a weird creature mm. or monster. But she, there is something very different about her, mm. and she is not of of. Every, she's not like everybody else. Mm. Uh, and so, even I mean, that's the thing. You can make it metaphorical. It's like she's clearly she, as you say, like there are lots of group religious groups, like various sects and religious sure. cults in that time, who were doing things that, for the rest of society standards, were. Uh, considered to be completely blasphemous sure, or sure. Mon- mm. monstrous, and so you you can fill the refer- you fill the film with references to those kinds of things as well. Mm, mm. Uh, is the sister so religious? Is she heavily religious? I hadn't thought about her as a religious person. Okay. Uh, I kind of actually thought of her almost like a scientist. Okay, because right. that's okay. what intrigues yeah. me as well is that she's actually the one that's asking questions. She yes. is the okay. one that is doing this research and trying to find out what's going on while everyone else around her is just saying, no, it's fine. We don't need to know what's yeah, going sure, on. Yeah, sure, sure. 
Yeah, that's great. That's it. That's it for me. Like in terms of her character, like I get it now. Like totally. Yeah. She's being heralded as a conspiracy theorist, but actually yeah. she's a scientist trying to collect facts. But in the collecting of facts, it breaks away from the norm. And so because yeah, it's breaking away from the norm, yeah. people are like, well, what are you doing? Why are you trying to get this information? Just stop being, stop being so crazy. Just believe in Just these believe things it. we're telling you to believe. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you've the, got... the... sorry, go on, Ollie. Oh, sorry, I just wanted to say that there's a there's a link to this, which is about uh, something specifically a, I've, I've read about in Spain, where mm-hmm. we all know the Spanish Inquisition mm-hmm. uh, was actually in Spain. The Spanish Inquisition was the force. It's just called the Inquisition, in- isn't it? <laughs> the Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, carry on. <laughs> it's it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Uh, <laughs> that joke. Um, but yeah, uh, it, the Spanish Inquisition uh, was the force that ended witchcraft persecution in Spain. Right. Uh, and that was because they were the first group to ever go actually properly investigate cases of witchcraft and p- apply analysis to the study of whether someone was truly a witch or not. Because mm, mm. they, tr- they considered themselves to be like uh, a judicial system that actually weighed evidence. Right. And so... In the end, they sent lots of people around the, the, the country and discovered there was no witchcraft because they actually applied logic and analysis mm. to the study of it. So I think that is something that may tie into this is that actually a religious person who is really, really kind of sure of their faith mm. is not going to be engaged in extremism like this because they don't need to create imaginary monsters. Mm-hmm. They, they will do the proper research and check what, what is true. They actually will believe, they will look for the truth. Mm. And that brings me to my next question, where we're setting it. Um, mm. And in terms of language, uh, which language will we be using? Mm. Uh, I, I imagined it as a sort of ambiv- ambiguous European, Central European location. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't take from any one uh, national cultural uh, perspective sure. it will be probably a, a, a mixing of different because it's a european cultural tale as far as i understand okay. mm. like it's it's in england it's in france it's in germany mm. and so i like the idea of fusing it mm. but with del toro on board is it a spanish is it a spanish indie kind of film do you know what i mean like uh, it could be uh, just, uh, just, what it feels it just like me it? that hasn't seen enough. I haven't seen enough films in that pe- sort of medieval period. If it is the medieval period, I'm just using that as a generic, like Jurassic period. I'm just using medieval <laughs> as a generic term. It may be, you know, several hundred years prior. Um, but, but I haven't seen a lot of Spanish language films or, or films set in Spain during that period of time. I don't know perhaps mm. why. I mean, I, you see a lot of um, French and a lot of uh, British films in that time period. Um, but yeah, I, that, and perhaps it's just me. But yeah, making it Spanish language, setting it in and around some of the areas of Spain could lend itself to just a bit more uniqueness, I think, maybe in mm-hmm. the landscape. Where's mm-hmm. the folklore from? It's, it's part of almost all European traditions, as far as I understand. Um, and uh, it does have an interesting connection, I think, to, to, to the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Right. Like the... Mm-hmm. Don't look back. Ancient Greek ideal. Yeah, don't look back. Because in the end, in almost all forms of the fairy tale, uh, he does look at her and she has to escape. She has to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. That's the end of the... He destroys the relationship through his lack of mm. faith in her. So what happens then in this one when it's her that destroys it? That's, that's fascinating to me. Then what happens to their relationship between the two of them if it's not him that betrayed her trust? 
what what would then happen in that moment that moment in the in the great myths that say right now you've ruined everything mm-hmm. what then happens at the point where she discovers where, where, where um Presien discovers um Melusine's secret is it would that alter the tale in a you know how would that alter the tale Uh, I, I had not thought about whether Presian would be the one to to see her oh, as such and okay. to reveal her. Right. Uh, that, I mean, but that would make more sense, I think, in some ways. Because I, I want this story really to be about the relationship between the, the women. Mm, sure. I think given the title, given what we're looking at, I, I want it. I want the kind of um, the beginning to, to lull you into the sense. So it's going to be a romantic film. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, the guy kind of just disappears. Yeah, yeah. Fades from... Yeah, I like that. Yeah, definitely. Does does finding the knowledge drive her mad? Does the the touch with the fairy world isn't and and why the wife is trying to keep her husband away from that is that to see that sight like Cthulhu that kind of stuff to see those gods would actually drive you mad and so she gets this glimpse mm. and ends up going mad which then proves everyone right that she was a conspiracy theorist and now she's gone mad, but she's gone mad because her conspiracy was right. And the the husband never gets to find out and actually stays honest and true. And then they never, he never goes mad either because he never comes in contact with the fairy world. Yes. I really like the idea. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Good. Cause it's, cause it is very multifaceted, isn't it? And it's one of these ideas that lends itself um sort of it's so beautifully sort of open-ended and you can tackle such a lot of themes with it so so it's difficult to pin down sort of where exactly you want it to go because even because i'm getting shades of the babadook as well where you because it's something physical that you do see that is there but of course uh afterwards it it is an allegory it is something else uh what but whilst also still being this physical beast that you see which i think is quite i might edit some of that just for spoilers i don't want to like no, you do. You do see the, the the Babadook, don't you? And it's not really a. It is a thing, but then it also represents something else. So yeah. So so I think there you can have your cake and eat it by showing something, but having you know, as in her form um, and the effects of that, but then also having it mean something uh, and having it have say something deeper. Oh, I'm gonna throw a curveball into this, right? Um, so based on what you were saying, Dan, in in Birdman. The Edward Norton film. Mm-hmm. No, the film that was Edward Norton. Film. It's not the Edward Norton, not Edward Norton film. film but yeah. Film. I'm not sure uh, anyone would describe it as the Edward Norton. I'm going to start that again. <laughs> oh, no, that a... we're keeping in. <laughs> I'm going to throw a curveball at this. So in Birdman, the Michael Keaton going, film. The Michael Keaton film. Yeah. Thank you very much. He when he actually sort of sees Birdman, doesn't he? But he's the only one that sees it because it's talking to him in his head, and you sort of see it flying around and that. And mm. there's all those scenes. Mm. So is that maybe actually what the sisters? seeing she's creating all of this in her head creating the conspiracy theories but trying to apply science to it but it's actually not real i've gone i've confused myself <laughs> yeah. but that sort of thing where it's like yeah so it's like the idea of if if what dan was saying if she's seeing the if you're seeing the sort of cthulhu and going crazy then she's right but the conspiracy theorists are right it's a self-fulfilling her. prophecy isn't yeah. It? yeah i think that would be and how she's seen how mm-hmm. she's seen by others um ollie is she seen as someone who is outside of the norm that you need to uh, sort of keep at arm's length or, or it, it, does she allow her sort of uh, her, na- her nature of being a scientist, her nature of being different and questioning, does she allow that out for people to see? Is she, is she bold with it? Like Belle dancing through the street, talking about books in Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. Or is she, is she holding back? Is she, is she a quiet sort of subtle soul who's sort of, you know, more solitary with it? 
No, I, I would see her as aggressive and confrontational <laughs> and someone who is, I mean, she's, she's like a hard bitten cop who is desperate <laughs> to get to the bottom of the story. Like what's going on? And she, I mean, she, her relentlessness allows her to, to enter the cast, the parts of the castle. She's, she's very cunning. She can trick people. She, she's used to get doing anything it takes to get to the bottom of mm-hmm. the, these conspiracies. Uh, and so, and again, the, I would like to think that that precociousness again is about women characters mm-hmm. in that era makes, makes her extremely unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a film about, her as a very uh a woman who would not normally be able to function in that society because no one would respect her for that kind of behavior they would say you're you're not you're not performing your normal role Mm -hmm. but maybe because of her social status the fact she's the the brother of this no sister of this nobleman she she can she's found a space where she can she can behave in ways that no one else would ever allow her to. Uh, but also maybe there's an interesting element there of, if you are like that, you are so engaged and f- kind of fervent in your ideas, but no one listens to you. She's largely ignored by everybody else. It is the thing that drives her insane. Like you, you are the only intelligent person in society which completely has no interest in your intelligence. That is the process through which we watch her un- mm-hmm. unravel mentally, even though she's right, even though there is she's getting to the bottom of this, this story, uh, that she's, she's, she's discovered the truth. Uh, the, the, the truth destroys her, I suppose, is the way that you could have this. Okay, thanks for that, Ollie. Um, next, we have Dan. Dan, I'm looking forward to your idea for An Honest Woman. Brilliant. I'm glad you are. It is a one-line pitch. <laughs> when is it any different? You're going to love it. Hey, sometimes it's two. Two lines. <laughs> <laughs> this is An Honest Woman, a docu-film, possible docu-series, The Carol Baskin uh, Rebuttal. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I, I just want to start this by saying, I, and I, I'm fully going to get a slap for this. I still haven't watched Tiger King yet. <laughs> I mean, well, what well, you, you don't, say you don't need to because Dan's going to fill you in very briefly about Carol Baskin's role in Tiger King. Well, I mean, I'd have to unravel the entirety of Tiger <laughs> King. But um, if, you've, if you haven't seen Tiger King, I mean, I, well, don't, yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. It is the no. most, and I mean this in the nicest to, to all my American friends, it is the most American of <laughs> docuseries that you could ever hope Mm-hmm. to watch it's when you first watch it i first watched it i got to episode two and thought this has got to be a comedy in the mm. style of ricky gervais in that everyone seems so utterly ridiculous just pushed to 11 sure that this can't be real but it's scarily close and it turns out everyone is real mm-hmm. and that's more worrying but it's about um big cat um sort of private big cat uh, farms isn't it yeah zoos yeah and carol baskin is a animal rights activist that has a sanctuary for big cats Mm -hmm. which ironically is identical 
to a big cat zoo, Mm -hmm. but she sells it differently. At least that's the way the documentary Mm. makes it come across. Within this documentary, she is vilified by all the other men in the, um, uh, in the series. Um, and she has a very particular personality. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that was probably the, um, the subtitle for it, which will be an honest woman. Hey, there, cats and kittens will be <laughs> the, the bit underneath. Okay. Um, and she has been accused of murdering her ex-husband mm-hmm. and she has millions upon millions of pounds to bring lawsuits against uh, all these other sort of cat owners mm. anyway my idea is that this is a docu-film which i think ends up spinning into a docu-series because she can't help herself about carol baskin uh-huh funded by yes carol baskin that's, it. that's the hook i was waiting for that's it yep. that's the thing that <laughs> elevates it isn't it of course it is yeah <laughs> And um, I'm not entirely sure as to whether Carol Baskin plays Carol Baskin. Ah, interesting. Or in her hubris, she gets someone else to play her so Mm. that there's a level of detachment. Um, But she ends up getting someone like Scarlett Johansson to Mm. play her. She'd like that. I mean, Scarlett Johansson can play anything. She would like that. Everyone would like that. I think it's one of these news reports that says um, Margot Robbie and Charlie Theron considered for Carol Baskin. And then it goes Mm -hmm. to like a B or a C lister instead. So that while. can't get them. No. (laughs) And it's definitely someone whose career is maybe like they're trying to do the edgy thing. They're trying to do the whole makeup and the whole Charlie Theron thing and like, you know, make themselves transform. Um, But it's, yeah, B or a C lister instead. I don't know who could fill that role, but, but yeah. we'll have to have a think about that. And and when it gets changed, inevitably after the film has lukewarms at the very best success, yeah. she runs it into a docu series where she plays herself, but all of the other actors are the same. Yeah, because no one else can really do Carol Baskin like yes. Carol Baskin can do Carol Baskin. Yeah. In I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Reese Witherspoon is who's cast in the movie. I love it. I feel like that's I where she's that's at great. in her sort of career. Is that this is the one she might do? She's she's all she's looked fantastic in every film she's ever done. This is the one where she goes right. I'm gonna try and get my my Oscar. And my Oscar for Carol Baskin. And um, I think the the way the film plays out is that it's in an attempt to sort of. Uh, find her innocence, the honesty Mm -hmm. in the disappearance of the ex-husband. But all it does is raise loads of questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, is it um, like a shameless promotion for her sort of... Oh, absolutely. Everything else is like Big Cat Sanctuary, uh, this Big Cat Sanctuary, that. And like hideous product placement going on all the way through. Um, but massive production quality. I think she sinks loads of money into it. It becomes a vanity project, doesn't it? And, um, and it could have gone so right. It probably goes through three or four writers as well mm-hmm. because they get fired because they don't give it the right, um, the right level. I don't know how I feel uh, after having watched Tiger King. And it's inevitable it was going to come up in, this, uh, in our <laughs> podcast at some point. Uh, I don't know how I feel about any of the characters in that. Because I don't know how it was produced. So I think the docuseries ends up taking up on, and it is a fake docuseries. It's like, a, it's real, but it's not real because she's creating mm. the world 
in in that very much like a reality um, tv show state yeah like a like a made in chelsea type yeah. thing yeah dan can i ask what what is your feeling of what motivates her from the documentary and in your show what is well that's that's the hard thing because it within that it was hard to understand who i liked or didn't like mm. because i don't think there was anyone for me in that series that was you know truly good or truly redeemable out of anyone there really mm. they all seemed to be quite um they may have all had the best it seemed like the perfect uh, villain um story for all of them or they all started off with a good motive or at least what they could express as a good motive they had the cats at heart or they had something at heart and then it ends up that for ev- almost every single one of them their own personality gets in the way along mm. with money whether for good or for bad and they end up becoming a caricature of the person they had they had started or at least that's how the series mm. made them out mm. to be which is a far more interesting thing to watch isn't it really than mm. just a, a bunch of people getting on their day um so i i think in this docuseries she's trying to make herself out as as the martyr of all of this but she's also too proud isn't she to be a victim i think Sure. She, I mean, sure. I, that's something I noticed in the series is that she, she is a vic- They're all picking on her, um, which she likes to tell us they're doing, but she also throws it away, doesn't she? Like, mm. oh, they keep they keep doing this to me. He shoots mannequins with my face on. Oh, they're just all so silly. Because she, but there's, I think this ends up taking down the more martyrdom sides so that we feel s- a bit sorry for her, mm. but but she's only doing that sort of in a manipulative way because she doesn't, she's too proud to be a victim. Yeah. And, and again, as the only one, there was not the only woman, but sort of the main woman player in that um, series, I, I wouldn't want to be seen as the victim either. Do you know what I mean? That's mm. such a, a it's a catch 22 for her really, isn't yeah. it? Like in the way she's yeah. framed and chat 22. Uh, oh. 22. That's terrible. Mm. That's worse than my maybe that's joke. maybe that's <laughs> episode three of the docu series is called yes <laughs> it is isn't it yeah I also think I want to throw out that um, I I find it I think maybe they they made maybe the uh, docu film was made by uh, a quite a prominent documentarian for her but in that it did make her. Maybe it was called the Carol Baskin Apology, but Apology, because it's quite a lofty filmmaker, so Apology in the Greek sense, which means in defence of, you know? So it's like a defence of... But she doesn't get that, the subtlety of it. She doesn't like the Mm -hmm. word apology, and she doesn't like looking like the victim in it, despite it being a sort of defensive film. Mm -hmm. So then she takes it into her own sort of hands to and her own bank account to make this docu-series, yeah. Yeah. And as the docu-series goes by, she throws a lot of money at the beginning. So a lot of some of the actors that were in the mm. docu-film, they start, they start in the series. But as, e- as each episode goes by, at least one of them <laughs> disappears and is replaced by the actual person. <laughs> in, in, and, and so it ends up them having to, like, like in Neighbours or Home and Away or EastEnders, they have to keep saying that person's name so that you know that <laughs> yeah. they've now changed. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it ends up actually make it like the film makes things more complicated. I don't know whether the series, like all of the best of those best sort of American docu series, like Making a Murderer mm. and um, 
and Tiger King, and there's one other I was well, thinking about. Don't don't fuck don't fuck with cats. Yeah, well, but the the one with making a murder and and Tiger King is that you you come out at the end of them not knowing. Mm. Like okay. you have a really strong like with making a murder, you're like, oh, that's horrible. Like, how dare these people be locked up? But then you're like, I oh, just don't. There's still enough there to go. Who who mm. really is? What is going on? Mm. I'm almost certain, and and obviously it's been filmed to make me think that way too. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like with Tiger King, you're like kind of on Joe's side for, uh, well, at least I fe- I felt I was on Joe's side for at least like one episode where you're like, this guy's crazy, but at least he's trying to do something good, and it slowly yeah. unravels. Um, but none of the people that he meets on the way are good to show him up as being the baddie. Mm. They're all just baddies. They're mm. all just like mad is it is it interesting to i mean of course i like what i like about it the most is that carol baskin is doing it herself but is there something you can play around with the artifice of documentaries and docudramas is there something is there maybe the documentary crew that shot her for tiger king is also she's also cast and featured them in the film that she's doing or, or something and then they're, perhaps they're also making a documentary while she's okay, doing so the it's a documentary of a documentary. I sort like that. Or maybe it's the docu film of the docu series or something. <laughs> yeah. like, maybe really I'm adding meta. too much, too much to it. Maybe, to layers. but maybe you know the guy that originally did the Tiger King, um, the guy with the the, the hat and the low voice and the and the cigar, mm, whatever his name mm. was, I can't remember where he was, who like disowned Joe Exotic by the end. Yeah. Um, maybe he's in on it. Maybe yeah. he comes in on this, and so there's a whole counter conspiracy that's going on with <laughs> what is actually being said what is being going on and they film their own version of events and then like you know two two competing documentaries terrible are released, reconstructions you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually um one, one of my friends i used to work with she she was in a lot of these like reconstructions for like yeah, tv because the guy she was living with was the person that had to edit and film them so they're just like in their front room like blurred out like doing <laughs> so maybe that's the sort of thing that's where great. Yeah, they actually end up, you know, she's like, that's not the sort of recall of events. And they make all of these really terrible reconstructions yeah. that you can sort of believe because you're seeing it from, because if you know what the originals are, you're now seeing it from a different perspective, mm. from an honest woman's mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I like it. Um, I, I, like the, I like the fact that she's used the word honest as well in her yeah. title. Like yeah. she's doubling down on it. Yeah, definitely. And it's the first title we've had in Slash Dupe, isn't it? With a with a colon and a subtitle, is it? I believe. Yes. Unless, I, yeah, which I like. Sure. I, I miss I, I miss those films. And I'm glad that there's one in Slash Dupe. And I think does she have a new husband as well? Because I sort of like this idea, and he's just sort of. Um, do you know what I watched? I believe it's called. Is it called Solo? The one about the guy. Free climbs, Solo. Free Solo. The guy who climbs El Cap um, with mm-hmm. a lightsaber. Um, so it's yeah. So it's, it's about the guy who climbs El Cap, um, free climbs it. But during the documentary, he gets a partner, he gets a girlfriend, who it, it, I don't want to cast aspersions on her because I don't know anything about her or their relationship. But he seems very uh, based on some of his brain scans, his personality. He seems pragmatic. very, very, very pragmatic, pragmatic, very focused. He doesn't seem as sort of I don't know. He doesn't discuss on camera love and relationships the same way. Uh, you would normally hear someone talking about them on camera. Um, and she's very, I mean, she, I think she tracked him down because she knew about his fame, right? She knew about him because of that, which, which immediately cast some suspicious sort of ideas. Um, and there's just something unusual about the relationship. She's there, I think, solely in the film, it appears to be on camera. 
She is there because she likes his fame. She started uh, companies under his name now, you know, like trading sort of with his uh, image. So, and there's something very, perhaps it's just uh, America's reality TV making young men and women feel like they have to act like this, but she seems very sort of artificial. And I sort of like the idea that maybe this, she's got a new husband, Carol Baskin, or a new partner who knows about the history and has come on board and you're not sure about his motivation. So the the entire thing... you mean a lot after the guy in Tiger King? So the, the guy, the guy in Tiger King, is not the husband that she's been suspected sure. of murdering. He's quite a figure in himself, right. right? He's he's I quite scared of him. Like he right. seems very, he's like a very knowledgeable law guy. He well, he knows all the laws, but he and he's one of those really seems very kind saying lots of kind words but they just don't register in his eyes mm. you know what i mean and oh, well, that's um, perfect anyway i hadn't seen enough yeah. of tiger king but to qualify so i guess like I, he yeah. is so that's he perfect is, yeah, already and he knows all the past yeah and he knows all the players so but I, that actually brought up the thought about it what happens if during the filming of either the yes. film or the series He's he killed. dies? Yeah, he dies. <laughs> not, not, not killed, just, yeah, he just he dies. Just dies. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's after he's filmed a section yeah. where he says something <laughs> that could be taken yeah. either way. Yeah. He reveals and, some uh, sort and of then, secret and she's really mad about it, you know? And then, yeah, yeah, and it's on film and then he disappears. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's, that's, that's my honest woman. Hey there, cats and kittens. So we had two fantastic ideas, one from Dan, one from Molly. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, And before we hear Ryan, the dupe's idea for An Honest Woman, I'll let you guys know what will be happening at the end of this episode. I'll be picking a winner. The winner will be going into a pool and we'll be organising from that a way of the public voting so you guys can vote on your eventual winner. Now, what will happen with that winner, the winning idea over the entire series is we'll make it into a trailer. We'll pop it up onto YouTube and you can see us in all of our glory trying to desperately recreate with our limited resources the idea that someone has pitched effectively at random based on uh, on uh, one of our uh, titles and one of our episodes. So I, I don't want anyone to feel discouraged if they don't win. As I say at the end of all of these uh, segments, the the winner of this episode uh, today is really the loser because they increased their chance of having it made into a trailer uh, and immortalized probably uh, forever, probably. They'll be putting <laughs> it on the next uh, uh, spaceship that goes to the moon and they'll they'll plant it, plant it down there in a time capsule. So, um, so yeah, so, so I think it's, um, I've got an idea for an honest woman that I made up five minutes before we started. Um, and I don't think it's very good. So I'll just go over it briefly, but first I'd like to hear the idea from our dupe, Ryan, who's been thinking this whole time whilst we've been chatting about his idea for An Honest Woman. Thank you very much, Sean. So An Honest Woman, another tough one. We've had a good couple of run of quite tough titles to sort of roll with in this time. And I thought of An Honest Woman and the first thing that came to mind was a reimagining, in a way, of The Usual Suspects. Ah, so good. what I've got is the FBI raid a stockbrokers in the middle of a big city, probably New York. Again, I've done a couple of New York ones now. Um, and, you know, they get in there because this these traders, they've been 
they're sort of being investigated for insider trading. And you sort of you have a bunch of establishing at the beginning of them going through getting all the computers. The big boss, they can't see him anywhere. You know, he's not there. And they start to talk to a lot of the other traders. A couple of guys are like sweating it out. They get broken. They get they get sort of done with the done. You know, they're all with their legal representation. Mm-hmm. And then in walks Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. And she Yes. Sorry, I've got to stop you there. I'm sold. <laughs> so in walks Sandra Bullock, and she's not a partner of this sort of stockbroker firm, but she's uh-huh. she's up there, you know. She's and she walks in, and she walks in, and she's she's the next one to be interviewed. And the interviewer, the FBI agent doing all the interviewing, is uh, Marshala Ali. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he sort of probably be that the department of the FBI that deals probably with... most well-known for Alita battle angel. I expect yes, most people will know him from and, that. Uh, and, nothing and else. being the father in Madden yeah. <laughs> in the career mode. Uh, <laughs> so I like the idea of her, you know, she's coming in and she's, you know, she's dressed like immaculately. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not like worried about anything. She walks into the room, she sits down and she gets asked questions and she sort of has this like smarminess about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got, you know, she hasn't got any legal representation. She's there by herself. She has volunteered her computer. You know, everything is like perfectly filed. And I think Marichali starts um, commenting on this, you know, everything's perfect. We know you have to be organized, you know. She's given, yeah, all of these files, everything's dated, everything's noted, everything's there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're sort of wondering. But That's she, already suspicious, right? Right. Yeah, but that's... here's the thing. So she has an answer for everything. But absolutely everything. And it's not like she's not sweating at all, you know? She's given just the right perfect answer for everything. And I think that's where it sort of has this this idea because, you know, we're sort of told, FBI agents are told, you know, to don't trust anything, look beyond, you know, someone's hiding something. So the fact that she's volunteering everything, she's like, they come to her house and she lets them in and she's got tea for them, you know, and mm. they're going through the files and she's talking to Marshall Lee and like they're looking at, you know, she's got stuff, her house is beautiful. She's got stuff like, she's got the photo, she's got a photo with the senator mm-hmm. that they're sort of talking about that, that um, you know, the insider trading has been like filtered down from that. And he's like, well, why have you got a photo? And she's like, we're at a charity girl. And, you know, those sort of things are tax havens, aren't they? And, you know, which, which like, you know, we know to be true, but by what she's saying, she's not actually breaking any laws or anything like that. Mm. And I love this idea of it, like this big game of cat and mouse. They start following her. You know, her routines are clean. She does the things she said she does. You know, yeah. everything that her, they start running cross-references about it. Everyone's really nice about her, which, you know, and they start to ask, like, you know, why aren't you a partner? And she's saying, well, you know, this is this is a man's game. I've got to play it. And to be able to play it, I need to be organised. I need to know these people. The fact that I know, I don't know, this, like, big senator, you know, they look into her back, her background. She's, um, like, Harvard Law, so mm-hmm. she's very smart. You know, why did you go into stockbroking? Because... You know, the, the laws, law isn't going to get you anywhere. I'm not going to make it up to her, but I can make shit ton of cash being a stockbroker because I know how to do that. Mm. So, you know, so she just says something about the American dream and about how she's got kids and they're more important. So she has to put aside. Well, I don't think she does. I don't think she, she has. Does, she doesn't no, have any connections. No, and that's anything. another thing where they're like, you know, why aren't you married? Why haven't you got kids? And it's like, I don't I don't need to. You know, mm-hmm. I'm make I'm happy doing what I do and I'm really, really good at what I do. You've got all my paperwork in front of mm. you. You can see that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making like X million a year. How much are you making? 
you know, are you, can you say you're really, truly happy and you're really, truly that good at what you do? Mm. So she starts to sort of get into his head a little mm, bit. Okay. And, you know, everything, everything that, you know, she knows people like she was in sororities with people. So she's got all those connections, which might seem like she's acquired them sort of like sneakily or something like that. And I just yeah. love this idea, this big game of cat and mouse mm-hmm. between, between them all. Um, and the FBI agent, uh, unless you have a suggestion, it sh- probably should be Edward Norton. I'm just kidding. Well, I said Ma- Mahershala Ali. Oh, the... of course you did. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Cut out my uh, me sounding like an idiot. Yeah. Mahershala Ali. Good choice. Thank you. Um, yeah. And, speak, you know, and, everything, and every time you think he's like he's going, going back over the paperwork and, you know, Senator Kyvey checked this and they cross reference with, uh, with her assistant. And they, you know, and everything. And he thinks he's got a lead and he chases up and he goes like meet someone in a dive bar or follow someone. And like it all, like the whole direction of this film is it makes everything look like it's suspicious. And we, the audience, you know, we're looking, uh, as, as Dan said straight away when I was talking to her about her being volunteering, given that information, instantly we're like, someone's up with this. Yeah, sure. Someone's up with this person. Sure. Or does it mean that she's actually is, she is just an honest woman mm. and she is like, she has done all of her meticulous paperwork. So is the twist that? The twist is that there's absolutely nothing wrong. She's had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with it. And she is just a, an well, honest woman. I think that the investigation will go, the investigation will go, but we'll keep having that feeling of like, she, you know, she is the antagonist. She is the antagonist. She, will, she is, we're going to find her. We're going to get her. Something's going to break. Something's mm-hmm. going to be missed. Like that sort of like hungry, almost trying to, but like not, trying to put an answer in front of someone that will slip them up or maybe they do maybe they try and fabricate something and then she's like well that's completely not true because of x y and t or this person's you know mm. you said that the neighbor saw me but the neighbor's been dead for 15 years so i couldn't have been at that lake house you've just played your hand actually which means you've got nothing on me yeah you sure. know and doing that sort of like what if the she's got all of this stuff out here and she's deliberately giving it out and she's hoping that the FBI agents are clever enough to see the actual evidence in there that accuses someone else in the company that she can't speak out for because she's not, she wouldn't um, grasp any of her, she's loyal to the company, Mm. but she's leaving just enough breadcrumbs by being only honest that anyone intelligent enough can see through all yeah, of that that's, to that's get, good. and that's the end. The ending is that that they've been doing all this red red wire stuff mm. to try and red wall to work it out, and it actually leads them down one other path, and it's someone completely different. Mm. And so they've been antagonizing Maybe it's the entire the way FBI agent's own uh, chief or something, you know. So like, because you want if you said usual suspects, my first thought is there's going to be a big twist at the end, right? I, or I've I've written what I'd like the ending to be, and actually Dan, it works. So we'll, I'll tell you what the ending is, and we can incorporate work it around in both. So I like the idea of you know the case gets it gets closed or it gets dropped or whatever. They they find somebody right, but the guy is so. And as soon as they find some person and they pin it, almost like a, a scapegoat is what I'm looking yeah. for. You know, but he's so not okay with it, and then he goes to like he's like, where is you know Sandra Bullock's character? And she's like on her way to the airport. She's got a ticket. They like check her accounts. She's got a ticket to like a non-extradition country. And, you know, so they're like at the end, they're like at the airport and she's like sitting there waiting to go and he chats to her and they sort of have that sort of that moment in the heat, you know, where they talk at the table. Mm. It's like that in, in the airport, like in those airport seats waiting for a flight. Yeah, and she good. sort of says like, yeah. you know what? 
let's let's say you're right. Let's say I, because I know Bill, um, you know, the senator and this, that and the other. And yeah, and I did do this. And I was here for this and I was here for that. Da, 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 da. And she like basically connects all those dots for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And then goes. Solves his own case for and then And then like, and then like laughs about it. And she's like, well, maybe I just want to go on a holiday yeah, and then gets on the plane and goes. And then that's the sort of moment where you're like, Shh, you know, shit, is she, was she actually the whole time, was she actually the one? And her note keeping was so meticulous that it was forged. Mm. Or is she just well, not even that, woman? Just that, just that part, the idea of a part, that's a really good twist. The idea of the parlor scene being that she reveals to, to you know, the Sherlock Holmes what could have actually happened in such yeah. detail that it connects all the dots from the entire rest of the movie, but she hasn't lied at any point. No. And then, but because he's not there in a capacity to arrest her, because it's not, it doesn't work like that like it does in the movies, he can't just arrest her because she told him that it sounds yeah. like a plausible thing. He can't arrest her. She, he has to allow her to get on the plane. I think that that's a really good and idea, it, and it's to a non-extradition mm. country. So, like, and that's sort of said by like the analyst. Oh, it's to like <laughs> yeah, a non-extradition yeah, country, you know. And that's another that instantly it's a red flag for all of us. Yeah, and yeah. All of us watching, going, oh shit, you know, she's she's the she's the evil. <laughs> but you know, it, it, yeah, I just I thought that's a really it's a good. It's like a nice like thriller, you know. Like it's it's is like a bit of a it's a crime thriller sort of, um, and and you know off the off the vein of the fact that. Um, Wolf of Wall Street did so well mm. um, and you know I think we're sort of due I haven't seen a film that's had like a decent twist on me uh, since like Inside Man and mm. you know obviously The Usual Suspects when it came out that was like for loads of people yeah um, so I think you can go experimental with it and it could be a Steven Soderbergh type film you know because he did do Out of Sight which is a great sort of example of sort of mm. I don't know character and dialogue whilst being stylistic and hardboard but also not being too sort of uh, cliche uh, you could go Ivan is it Ivan Reitman no Jason Reitman because I liked how w- with the front runner he sort of took that almost like 70s paranoia approach where people talk over each other there's no it's not recorded with clear mm. sound and there's a roving camera which moves around so you're not quite sure who you're supposed to be paying mm. attention to so you can have that sort of vibe to it if you wanted to as well um, or you could go sort of get Christopher McQuarrie down and say, right, you wrote The Usual Suspects. You're doing well with six million Mission Impossible films. Why don't you do your return to form, your unofficial sequel to The Usual Suspects? And, you know, McQuarrie could handle it, make it a bit more of a sort of classical Hollywood picture, maybe, or something. I don't know. Well, it's got that. I mean, I was going to say originally, because it would be excellently uh, conversation. I was going to say Aaron Sorkin, but I don't think that's the right kind of dialogue for this. It's too... It's too much. Too much, Yeah. yeah. And so I saw. I thought, you know, actually, he's not right. So yeah, Soder, Soderbergh's a good, a good sort of. Um, I mean, you know, I'm going to try. And, I'm going to throw my boy Fincher a bone at this one. He, he ain't going to take it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw it to him first. Although um, this is the, exactly the sort of film he would take, isn't it? Because there is that element of he loves because it's to... high society and and like a darkness. Um, it's it's not. Is it narc that the whole film, the main characters, everything shot. He's blue, right? everything to do with the main characters blue use a lot of color for yeah that. sure so that sort of idea between like an interesting contrast in like light and sort of the way that you know the way that she dresses she might dress in she dresses in white quite a lot which yeah. obviously we perceive as a quite a pure color you know um rather than sort of darks yeah. and reds and you know blacks which bad you know antagonists no, i like that i like that and also fincher has quite an acerbic style he's quite sort of fond of saying that he wants his films to be shot as if a human hasn't operated the camera. 
it's almost like a robot is operating, like something very sort of alien is watching this, not watching in a voyeuristic verite documentary way, mm. but watching from a very clinical sort of standpoint. And I can see the movie being very tense by, by showing you everything in a clinical fashion. Mm. There's lots of clinical rooms, sterile clinical rooms. That people and it, do and it's the things that, that are said that make us, you know, you, you might not necessarily get Marichal Ali's reaction, mm. but we're screaming oh, at the TV. We're screaming at the <laughs> yeah, TV, yeah. you know. Oh, what did she just say? Oh, yeah, they are a tax haven. If you do your research, it yeah, plays you know, with, charity it play, it plays are. with your expectations of when characters in movies say suspicious mm, things. Absolutely. You know, like you're supposed to hear it as an audience, but you're not supposed to hear it as a character. But whereas in this time, it's almost the other way around. And we've had yeah, so many of those occasions yeah. where you've asked someone a question and you're like, really? And they are, you know, absolutely telling the truth mm. to you. And you just sort of don't want to believe mm. the answer is right mm. from them. Um, and they could be telling the truth to this. So, you know, you going back to Ollie's original idea, you know, you start to build those conspiracy theories, right? Mm. And you start to put, try and put those strings together. And, you know, rehearsing can sometimes be like, you know, quite negative on somebody. Mm. Um, and we... We do it a lot when we watch films, but that's only because it's an hour and a half or two hours and it's a fantasy written up by somebody. So mm. we're allowed to come up with conspiracies and create ideas for them because it's not real life to us. Now, part of me, now the thing is, that's a great idea. Part of me would kill to see an actual Usual Suspect sequel. I was hoping it would be like four or five women in a cell and then well, like, that, you know, it starts like that. I and did then, originally and then, write. You know, but then so, I guess that's Widows, isn't it? I mean, I know it's Widows is a very different film, but... If I thought of a spiritual sequel to Usual Suspects, although there's not a twist, I don't think the mm. twist is, it is integral to Usual Suspects, but I think the audience shouldn't expect a twist. But Widows is very much a spiritual successor to, to Usual Suspects, I think, in time. Well, one of the things I wrote down, original idea was like an art, uh, an art gallery, something stolen in an art gallery, and then they have to interview the people that are there. And out of those five people, one of them is an honest woman, right? And it's that sort of... And I thought, actually, I talked about arts and heights and stuff like that before. <laughs> um, and sort of I like this, you know, that's why I sort of went with the stockbroking, sort mm. of the inside of the trading aspect of it. And you almost forget that that's the first reason why they went in there. Mm. You know, it's obviously interwoven in the whole story, but it's now it, it doesn't become about this firm doing mm. inside of trading. And where's the big boss gone? You know, he wasn't there at the time of the raid. It's actually like just boils down to the relationship of those two. So um, trailer, poster, just just end end on giving us those vibes. What, um, what are we seeing? I like a poster that's split down the middle. Um, one half is they're both the characters sitting at their desks. Marshall Elliott his with all of his paperwork mm. and sort of this tiny cubicle office at the, at the thingy and her in this like his old computer and, yeah. and lots of paperwork as opposed to digital and yeah, yeah. and her in terrible this backdrop really behind him out of the window just or motivational floor. cat poster in the back yeah. that sort of thing calendar yeah. and hers will be like out the New York like perfect like amazing desk you might even have it so it's split like halfway down their person so mm. it's like one half of each person and hers is like perfect um yeah, uh, thingy. I, think... I like that, like a bat, almost like they're playing battleships. Like their computers are against each other, and then they're both facing each other on their seats. I like, like that. Like that, mm. like that, that sort of and, You know, like beautifully clean office versus yeah. like, and like high society office yeah. versus this sort of thing. Um, maybe I'm trying to think of like it's maybe a little too out there, but like a pair of handcuffs made out of dollar bills. <laughs> but then that sort of thingy or like um 
I don't really know. It's a bit of a tough. I think that first poster idea is really good. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's heralded. It doesn't win any awards. Right. It's one of those films that it gets nominated because you know powerhouse actors. You know, great storyline, great directing. You know, it's it's like the critics' choice, but it's not. It doesn't go in for like the award ceremony. You know, it's not one. It's not an Oscar winner. It's not a Golden Globes winner, BAFTA winner. A most violent year with Oscar Isaacs in it. You know, it was people really mm. loved it, but it didn't win any Oscars mm. and that. Um, but yeah, it won I, one Oscar, did it? didn't it? The Oscar Isaac. Oh, that's terrible. This jokes. is a good one. This is a good episode for bad jokes. <laughs> Awful. It's the lockdown. <laughs> it's the lockdown, man. I have more decorum than this usually. I thought I thought I'd been like, oh no, just I didn't win the Oscars and you and I was like, no. Um no, I, I really love this. I haven't seen a sort of really good thriller film that's kept me on the edge of my seat and made me genuinely question whether they got it right, or whether I was the one that got it right. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. So we've had um, three pretty diverse and fantastic ideas, all from the title An Honest Woman. We've had uh, Ollie's uh, Aronofsky Del Toro mixture sort of starts as a romance and then gives you the old uh, Hitchcock bait and switch and takes you from this, uh, this romance to a sort of gothic allegorical fantasy film, which is the new genre that we've created <laughs> uh, with, with, um, uh, taking the man out of the picture and really pushing these two women characters to the forefront and dealing with uh, some heady topics whilst also playing around with whether the folklore and the monsters and, and, and all sorts of weirdness, whether it's present or whether it's just in the, in the minds of the characters. Uh, we had Dan's uh, docu-film series, which we've never had in Slash Sheet before, this sort of idea of somebody taking their... Uh, the way they were portrayed in the media and putting their own money into financing a, a rebuttal um, using real actors and and real characters and and uh, based on Netflix's favourite darling, Tiger King. Um, and a first title we've had a colon in. So if that's not a reason <laughs> to perhaps put it through as a winner, I, I don't know what is. <laughs> but, um, but, and then we've had Ryan's uh, uh, dupe uh, the Duke's idea of this, uh, what begins as maybe this usual suspect type um, interrogation thriller ends with this twist where you're never quite sure whether the FBI agent who's been hunting this through this this honest, perfect woman's records and details and life, her whole life, whether it's a fabrication or whether it is in fact uh, uh, the, this sort of dark, nefarious thing with a, with a wonderful uh, twist ending. Um, so with that in mind, I'd just like to talk everybody's ideas up before I speak uh, about mine, because it's, I just want them to hold on to something when they're listening to it. Um, I, I, I was in a quandary about an honest woman. I love the idea of the title, but I wasn't quite sure where um, I could take it at all. But then I thought of a genre or a subgenre uh, that I don't normally get to see very often. Um, and I love confidence films. You know, it used to be called the con man film, but I imagine particularly in this case, the confidence film uh, is probably the best reference. Now there's a lot of modern confidence films. There's the one with Viggo Mortensen in it. There's Focus with Margot Robin, Will Smith in it. But um, I, I like something that has more of an old school film noir vibe. And I like, I like confidence films as a sort of subgenre of film noir. And I'd like to see one with... This is how the idea started. I'll go through some of my ideas and, and you'll see how it changes. 
Um, because at first I was like, well, I like the idea of having um, a confidence film with a woman as a, as a star and not playing second fiddle or playing the femme fatale, but as, as the main character. I, you can go with sort of old school clute or even the Spanish prisoner or grifters sort of vibe if you're going for a sort of slightly more sort of uh, old school uh, con film. Um, or you can go New Age. You could go something like Matchstick Men or Ocean's Eleven, something a bit more vibrant. Um, but I, the one core thing is I wanted it to shift. So what I loved about The Brothers Bloom and what actually I found, and I've already mentioned this in the podcast before, actually, um, The Brothers Bloom. But what I liked about it was that it says it's a con man film and then it ends. The con is really that it's a film about two brothers. It's a film about relationships and love. Um and it's in, in in doing so, it sort of eschews the idea of a con man film that they that it's like film noir. They get their comeuppance and they and they get you know beaten down and they you know and they never get back up again, which is basically what most con films are about. So it's the complete opposite of that. Um, so that was what I was holding on to this idea of um, that I wanted it to be dark, or, but I wanted there to be a twist. So with the idea of an honest woman, which of course the and I did, which I don't normally do this. This isn't my style, but I Googled it. And the Merriam-Webster Dictionary um, <laughs> says it's old-fashioned and humorous. Because I wanted to see where it fell currently, the phrase, an honest woman. Um, but apparently old-fashioned plus humorous is where it lies. So perhaps it's been sort of retconned as something not too nefarious. Um, and it's to marry a woman, especially a woman uh, that one has already had sex with. Go on, Ollie. I, you, you took the words out of my mouth. That's... I was I did exactly the same thing as you when I began this this journey, <laughs> and yeah, I wanted yeah. to say that 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 element was actually a surprise to me. What that well, it, yeah to make, yeah to make an honest woman of you, isn't it? And that and that mm. in itself is so unbelievably archaic. Yeah. <laughs> like mm. like that, like marrying you is going to make you honest. Like yeah, everything else before was deceitful, like, and and only for women. You've already had sex with them, you know. You've already had sex yeah. with them, so you have to then make them honest. It's like they're they're dishonest in some way, yeah. So, yeah, but, but not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lads, 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 lads. We really should have got a, a woman on for this. Um, but um, but yeah, so so of course that also then led me directly to think about. I did not want, as you often find with femme fatales or, or the female characters in Quan Man films or film noir. Um, that they use sex, or in this case, possibly marriage, as part of uh, their being or part of the plot. And I don't, I didn't want her to use her sexuality to and status uh, as a, as a status thing or to mm-hmm. gain a foothold in anything. So, because it's a grey area, isn't it? You know, is a woman using her sexuality in a movie empowering, or is it male gaze? You know, what sort of, you know, what, what, where does it fall? Mm. So, I thought, okay, so the plot has to revolve around marriage and sex. She doesn't, you know, her being is not necessarily uh, that, that that's what she focuses on. And then I thought, OK, I've got it. Um, I don't know enough about this part of the world or about this world, to be fair. So I'm happy to be corrected. That's why I'm going to say this very short and sweet. But I think that she's this uh, it's she's a Saudi woman. It's set in Dubai. And it's a film with an empowered female Muslim woman that starts as a confidence woman uh, doing sort of whatever she can to survive and and big cons small cons it's it's that sort of a, approach to the film set in the glitz and glamour of 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 dubai um that then shifts halfway through to become something where she is uh sort of i don't know embroiled into or, or her character is such that she cannot 
She uses her skills to free the enslaved and the downtrodden in that part of the world. So there is something illicit under the glossy uh, world of Dubai um, and this seedy underworld, but she has to navigate it as a Muslim woman. And I thought it would be fascinating to have a, 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 a you know, Muslim woman uh, writer and director. Hopefully it would be the sort of story that, you know, sometimes these writers of uh, a, a sort of, um, of ethnic sort of descent, they make films of, um, they make genre films, but they imbue them with the, with the spirit and character of maybe what it was like for them to grow up or, 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 or their parents' stories. And, and so that gives it more flavor. So they take the framework of Hollywood and they imbue it with their own sort of experiences. Um, so, so it's, yes, yeah, this sort of dual film and it sort of mimics maybe Bill Friedkin's work from the seventies or maybe Paul Schrader's work from that sort of time period. Um, and it starts as this hip, fun confidence film and then shifts into something where actually she has to use her abilities for good and to actually do something important. And it's a bit more of a sort of hard boiled film noir towards the end, mm. but maybe with this confidence thread woven through it. Can I, can I make a suggestion? If you're looking yes. at doing in, in Dubai, mm. um, when the Burj Khalifa was being built, which is the world's mm. tallest building, mm -hmm. there were sort of stories about slave labor is not exactly the right term, but you know, the phrase like use modern slavery. Mm. Um, so sort of you see that in a lot of companies, um, in the way that they, in the sort of terms and conditions. But there were people who have said, like, I was sat in a crane for mm. two weeks. That's and because I was working so much because I couldn't get down because it took me so long yeah. to get down. So that was the sort of, maybe there is something. And that's, I guess, what we see from the news that gets leaked out of there. Mm. So you're right. I think that... Okay, it, well, it, it coincides with... Of, sorry to cut you off, but it coincides with the birthplace of Dubai as a sort of uh, economic and, and uh, a tourist hub. Mm. And, it, and it, so it's maybe it's at that point. LA, uh, not LA, Las Vegas obviously has such a big um, connotation with the mob and stuff like mm. that. So maybe this, the, and obviously Ocean's Eleven, uh, well, the Ocean's films are just being mm. set there. So having that as a sort of, yeah, that the, the imagining of that in Dubai. But there's, there's nothing to imagine that there is any less corruption in that part of the world yeah. or, or in that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of area. Sean, I, I'm very intrigued in this idea about how you become a confidence woman in a society like that. Like, there to me is a fascinating story of, like, in general, women probably in that society are not free to choose their lives, particularly in organized crime. So if you are a woman, how do you do it? Thanks. Thanks, Ollie, for that question. You're getting me back for the doctor comment from earlier on. <laughs> um, uh, Ryan, I think uh, you want to answer this question, don't you? Well, I just, uh, so I've seen a lot of um, imagery of like, um, of like women only areas in, mm. in Dubai and uh, not so much as Dubai, it, you know, across mm, uh, the world, yeah. across that part of the world. Um, and, you know, and they, they, it is a sort of this idea of, you know, there are um, like, I don't want to use the word congregation, but, you know, there are times where, you know, women can get together and talk. And I think maybe the idea of she becomes a confidence woman by pulling the right strings with the right people, with the right women who are, like, good with their men. So the idea of um, sort of like a, a, a man being sort of the way he is in, in the boardroom, but when he comes back home, it's like he's very respectful to his wife and that's the woman that she pull, she pulls on because, you know, she sort of has a bit more sway over mm. some of the more bullish men. Is it archaic to assume that in certain more archaic cultures, 
that then we can cut this out if I've right, you know, if there's a fine line I'm writing. That is it fair to say that a lot of women in these cultures run the households? They, they, they sort of. I know that I can speak for my grandparents, um, who are Anglo-Indian. Uh, I can speak to the fact that my nan run, ran the household. Yeah, that's true. And my granddad went off and worked, and he came home, and he said, "Right, here's all my, here's everything, my bank accounts, here's everything else." Um, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, hmm. and he didn't do it. I mean, I, we, you know, he was a lovely man. He didn't do it out of laziness. He did it because um, I don't I don't really know why that it felt like that. Actually, I'm not going to speculate, but but my nan and to this day is sharp as a button and she and she was fantastic at those sorts of things. So is it possible to imagine that, that you are already set up with some of those tools if you are that role in a household? So possibly also. The element of concealment, and I, I have to be careful with just because I don't know much about any faith, to be honest with you, but the idea of um, concealment is part of the Muslim faith for a variety of reasons. And you can use, I, I presume that anything that you uh, decide to, if it's your choice, for example, to uh, be part of that uh, structure, you, you can use it to your advantage. So I feel like the element of being concealed perhaps can be used to someone's advantage, whether they were uh, sort of, uh, whether it was pressed upon them societally or culturally or whether they, it was their mm. choice. You can sort of perhaps use those tools. Is that a good enough answer for you, Ollie? I don't know. Do you mean the actual mechanics of how that works? I think it's a little bit more communal. I think that women, particularly, um, no, I, th I think that women sort of notoriously more sort of social in that aspect that men are a little bit more guarded and particularly so I think that that's why confidence men in movies they're always singular characters with maybe one mentor that's probably stabbed them in the back or you know they probably have a spurious relationship with or will stab them in the back so you can um, birth these confidence women uh, by them actually supporting each other and they eventually become more more than the sum of their parts maybe. So are they a group? Is she part of a group of women who are involved in this? I think it would start, or, or her beginnings would be as part of a group, yeah. Okay. I think if you were to sort of examine or show in the film somewhere her beginnings, because maybe, I mean, a lot of film noir and confidence films, they take place over a short period of time, but I kind of like the idea of using the Burj Khalifa as a... As a um, as a, as a, as a, a the passage of time. So the film starts perhaps when the Burj Khalifa is being developed and it ends mm. when it's completed. So over this long period of time, you're able to see her grow and change in this society that's growing and changing and you, and her role growing and changing. And you get to see her go from, yeah, perhaps there is a group of women that, that sort of start to trade on their ability or, or their, or, or that concealed nature of, of themselves uh, or their other powers that they have. And then, so yeah, so, but then I think the film is very solely based on her and it's a very singular sort of film to give her the, the limelight. It's not an ensemble film and it, I think it would definitely focus on her, but perhaps her origins would have come from a group, mm. yeah. Yeah, because, and you'd learn slightly differently, wouldn't you? It's not like you're learning this sort of stuff from, I don't know, uh, in the, a lot of confidence, uh, men and women in, in America, that I suppose it's almost built on American movies. It's like that... that I, you know, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy with, with Hollywood and life imitating art and art imitating life. It's a very unusual thing. What would it be like out there in that part of the world? It's, it's, it's a good question. Um, you, you, yeah, I, d I don't know. It'd be interesting to see culturally 
why that might have been uh, placed into uh, moved from culture into I don't know into a necessity for these people. I don't know. I, to, I think I'm talking rubbish now. But uh. <laughs> yeah, so this really reminds me of Uncut Gems, uh, uh, mm-hmm. where you have this kind of world that's just created where it feels so fully formed, but completely different to I don't know this this world of people oh. sharing gems and whatever. And the whole thing is a huge confidence operation where he's. Con- I don't know if you guys have seen it, but. No, no, it's on my list. Okay. But no. But, no spoilers. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of hard to talk about uh, without, yeah. <laughs> I just know my, my old housemate sort of said he just didn't feel comfortable the entire time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard it's a panic intense. attack in the yeah. film, yeah. But, um, but no, I, I, from the knowing the directors, the Sadfi brothers, and knowing also, uh, you know, seeing the trailers and some of the, some of the uh, feedback, I can see what you're saying. It's like, yeah, the self-contained world that is fully formed, there's nothing to do with anything in your frame of reference but but it's so fully fleshed out that you almost sort of understand it in that sort of 90 minutes or whatever it was it was extremely hard for me to pick uh, a winner today uh, really genuinely hard normally it's difficult but there's a clear winner and the hardest thing is trying to find out how I let down everybody else. Um, but you know, how you let Dan down, Dan down. <laughs> every time without fail. Uh, Put hashtag that on the Dan. What was your hashtag? hashtag Dan was robbed. Hashtag Dan, Dan was, was robbed. robbed. Um, but I'm going to do something that I've never done before because it's my show and I make the rules. Um, and I'm going to uh, say, and I'm just going to say it outright instead of the preamble that gets everybody else's hopes up. I'm going to make ryan and ollie joint winners and that's not just to irritate dan. dan was robbed <laughs> <laughs> but what, what you could is it and also i kind of like my own one as well so i think <laughs> we'll put all three in the pot yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. in fact just to be fair cool. on everyone i've picked my own yeah <laughs> um and it's not because doing a carol baskin sequel would be incredibly difficult for us to do, especially if it's got five meta layers to it and everything. It's not that. I mean, their idea was was brilliant. And there is more of a market for it than any of the other ideas, arguably, uh, particularly during the lockdown. Um, But I think Ollie's idea being so incredibly fleshed out, plus in a sort of, um, I don't know, this sort of meeting of Aronofsky and Del Toro, I love it. You know, it's something I haven't seen before. I've seen lots of Del Toro and lots of Aronofsky, and I haven't found this sort of film that can encapsulate both of these things. I love that it comes from your academic background, that it has your sort of um, your interest in history and, and, and in sort of society, but then it also has a serpent in it and a woman that turns into a fairy. And, you know, I, I, I love that. I love it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's fantastic. And it's the idea that I would like to make the most. So I like, there's no way I couldn't pick it. It's the idea that I would want to someone, you know, it's not my choice who wins, but someone picks it to win and we get to make that awesome sort of European uh, folkloric sort of allegorical um, film. Um, so for that reason, I'm, I'm going to pick it because it's the one I would like to make the most. And Ryan's idea um, just came out, it. came out fully formed, didn't it? came out fully mm. formed and that's not Thank always you. the case with the dupe because it's 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 you know it sometimes requires some collaboration but it came out fully formed the twist was solid it's i can see it as a movie i can see it whereas ollie's the beauty in ollie's is finding it 
you know, it's one of these things that that's, that's the beauty is as you're creating it, finding that, you know, how it works and it's perfect form. And the beauty of um, Ryan's uh, idea for an honest woman is that it comes out fully formed. You can see it, you can see it all and it's, it's made to order and it's, it's ready. Yeah, based, I, I want to say, I think based on the amount of time Ryan had to prepare his idea and the amount of time I had to prepare my idea. <laughs> in terms of productivity, he's the absolute winner. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And who um, doesn't want to be winner on the basis of productivity? <laughs> and, and Ollie, I would say... Ryan that, does, Ryan loves that. <laughs> yeah, he does. And Ollie, I'd say that your idea, because you had three months to come up with it, you know, it had this real nice sharpness to it, that everything that you laid out in front of us, you know, you'd research... You know, you had the names of the um, of the folk, mm. people of the folklore, and you had this beautiful idea. So I'd say that that's the winner for me. There's room for <laughs> research, isn't there? There's room for someone Always. to go off and find out about these these sort of folklore characters, and <laughs> for Dan to go off and research it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe take a hint, Dan. You know, maybe. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I love trying to do, mate. Um, but if I didn't snub you every time, they wouldn't be, we wouldn't start the hashtag going, would we? That's yeah. right. It's absolutely right. Yeah. We're also gonna have to find a new editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Your producer. I'll just edit it out so I win every. You don't know. That's true. I edit it so I <laughs> win every. Week. Of course. I mean, I don't review these. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well and done. Um, so yeah, um, please, uh, please like and subscribe. I mean, we, um, uh, you know, or follow or whatever system you use. I mean, I know these things got to Google Podcast now um, because that's hit the UK, I believe, as well, and on non-Android devices. Um, we've got it. Uh, we use Anchor, and so you can listen to it on Anchor if you don't want to sign up for anything. But if you've got a Spotify or an Apple account, um, it, it shoots off to all those things. We've got several other episodes. We've recorded a few during the lockdown as well. So you'll 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 you know be part of the journey with us as the format sort of moves and shifts around. Uh, we've got a Reddit for you to um, tell us. You know, if you think one or more of the ideas wins out over uh, Ollie and Ryan today, give us your opinion. Um, we have a Facebook page. Also, I mean, everything, I mean, you know what, how it works. Every type of social media, if we don't have it, then we tell us to, to make it and we'll make it. But we basically have every type of social media except Snapchat. Um, <laughs> TikTok. And TikTok. Because yeah. quite frankly, including Ryan, we're all too old for TikTok. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. It's not for us. All right. And if you're our age or older, it's not for you either. All right. I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, um, but do you know what would really help us? It's sharing it. Sharing it would help us because we're, we're really privileged to be getting some really great feedback from our community and from people we know and, and from people they know. But being able to spread it outside of our community would really help us out. So, so that would be one of the things that we would love if you guys enjoy it for, uh, to be, for you to be able to do. Uh, well, yeah, you guys have picked uh, a series of films that I have not actually seen before as cultural reference points. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, at least with the usual suspects, I was trying to reverse engineer it through the last, uh, with the episode of community, uh, which is a parody <laughs> of the usual suspects and trying to see, yeah. can I work out what the original story of the film was? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually with, with each episode, Ollie, yeah. I actually create a curated list, like chronologically of the actors and the films that we reference. So, you know, listeners at home, if you're, if you don't know the films that we're sort of referencing, you know, follow those lists. We'll chuck it in the to, description block at the we'll bottom. Put it in the description block of every single uh, episode of what we do. And you'll be able to follow along with all the references we make and, you know, dive down a little bit of an IMDb rabbit hole yourself. Yeah. And it, yeah, thanks for that, Ryan. And it just leads me to thank you, Ryan the Dupe, for your efforts today. No problem. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And thank you, Ollie. Thank you, guys. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. Cheers.
<laughs> no, that's not good stuff. Hold on. <laughs> hey. Do not put that noise at the end of the episode. Hey. Hey. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Recorded in the Capo Studios, 2020. What's up, danger? We yeah, thought there was something seriously wrong, wrong the first time we did this. So we know it was 48 then in, in All the right. future. What you're hearing is probably how I actually sound to other people. It's, that's my fear, is that this is what I actually sound like. 